going to invite John to come and uh, bring the word. So I think we've hopefully just set a good foundation for that. We'll pray for John as well, that God would use him. Lord, we thank you for John's heart this morning to come and bring your word, that you have prepared his heart uh, through this. And may he come and just speak everything that you've given him to speak this morning. May our hearts be open to receive your word as well. In your name. Amen. 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 Good morning, everyone. What a wonderful... Was there a morning now? I didn't hear it, so I'll just check in. <laughs> and uh, welcome if you're visiting as well. It's lovely to see. Always good to see people uh, visiting or revisiting or um, looks like they're sticking around for the long term, which is even great. So it's wonderful to be together. And I really believe that there is a, a real anointing this morning, um, God to release people. So really encouraged by that. And um, the subject this morning, I'm just going to test this. Yeah. Um, the real sub, uh, the subject this morning, that giants will fall. And I believe that that's the word. Um, and that's what's going to happen by the end of this meeting, if it hasn't happened already. Um, we want to have a time where we can speak to uh, the mountains, speak to the giants and see them fall. And I want to um, lay out for this next three quarters of an hour or uh, however time I've got 40 minutes of why this is fundamentally biblically based. It is the word of God and uh, I trust you will witness in your heart that this is God's word for us today. So, amen? amen. Good. And, um, but what, what got me on this was we sung a song a couple of weeks ago in the evening. Um, There's a song, I, I don't know who's, who, I think it's Ren Collective. Giants will fall, mountains will move. And it just inspired me, and something that was said on the Friday night when we had Dave and Sue come round was this verse in Matthew 21, 21. Uh, we're not going to have the verses up, so you're going to have to turn to your Bibles or your iPads or your iPhones or your, uh, or your mental recollections. But truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, where he spoke to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. In other words, he's saying, you do it, you speak to it. And, um, and it's this whole idea, this whole uh, recognition that there are giants in our lives. There are giants in our church life, there are giants in our country. Um, you could, we could equally call this Mountains Will Move, and we could talk about mountains, but I'm going to go to uh, David and Goliath, which is a fantastic way of seeing these great principles in this story, which we're going to pick out in a minute. But giants are great pictures of obstacles in our lives. Um, so let's think, you know, as you're listening to this, maybe you can just be aware of what the Spirit might be revealing to you this morning of giants in your life or giants in this church or even giants in this community that we can speak to, that we can resist and see them fall. But giants are also great uh, pictures of opportunity because giants stand, when a giant appears, it's because they intend to put a stop to God, bring us into a new season or into a new opportunity. They always rear their head when we are moving. Yeah? Can you picture this? So we, could, we, we have to be encouraged when we see a giant, but we have to make sure we deal with the giant because giants are obstacles. And, um, and I'm going to go through these kind of, um, these, I've got nine points, nine key words, which 
if you're making notes, I'm going to have them on the screen so that you will be reminded. But when the people of Israel, they came into the, um, out of slavery through the Red Sea um, to the Promised Land. Many of us will know the story. And Moses takes them there and he sends 10 spies into the land. They come back. Eight of them were bad, gave bad reports. And one of the things they said, we're never going to do it. There's giants in the land. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, let's go for it. We can do this. Their actual words were, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. And the other spies cried, we were not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. It's amazing, the power of perspective. Um, that's a sermon title, isn't it? But that can be the response of giants in our lives. It's too big for me. It's too strong for me. It's too difficult for me. You know, we can see, maybe we look at the giant in relation to our own weakness and our failings and our difficulties and our history and our culture and our background and all that's been said to us over the past. And we look at it and make a comparison and we say, there's never any way I'm going to be able to defeat this giant. But if we have the idea of Joshua, it's been able to look at that giant with the right perspective through the eyes in comparison to the Lord, and we'll get to that. So God, I think God wants us and needs us and requires us and commands us. You can choose any of those words. I like the last one, because you have to do something about it when there's a command. Amen? It's good to get some feedback, isn't it? But we have to live in what God, what Jesus has paid the price for us to live in. And he wants us to live in a confidence in the power of God to defeat giants. So um, that's what I believe is going to happen this morning. But if you have your Bibles, you can go to chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. Um, if you don't have Bibles, you, you may know the story of David and Goliath. Um, it's something that we've, we probably know in our sort of more of a secular culture. But there are some great little kind of... Um, so let me go through the story just to save some time. We're going to go through these, these bits, but let me just uh, summarize the story. There was a king, King Saul, who was king of Israel, and they went up against the Philistines, and they were battling, and they came to a bit of a, um, uh, an impasse. Yes, I've written that down somewhere, Dave. Came to an impasse. They were stuck, one on one uh, hill, one on the other, and in the middle, they were just basically at loggerheads. There was nothing was happening. They was there for 40 days. And uh, one big uh, giant of a man called Goliath came down out of the Philistines. And the idea was, you send me one of your warriors. I will fight them. Whoever wins, wins the fight. So he went down there. He's taunting them. He's saying, come on, send me someone. And all of Israel was completely scared. And, and for 40 days, they didn't do anything. Somewhere else in, uh, in Israel, there was this young boy uh, called David who was feeding his sheep. And his dad called him and said, go take some food and some stuff to your brothers and then let me, send me back word how things are going on. In other words, send me back word that they're still alive. So this young boy, he takes this cheese and he takes his wine and he goes over, maybe a bit of meat, I don't know, and goes over and he goes to see them. And he, he sees this great battle. And he sees this man who's defying um, the Israelites, and he's shouting out, and he's saying, you know, what, what, what's this guy doing? You know, who's, who's going to fight this man? And they're saying, well, you know, no one wants to, um, but if someone does, they're going to have, they don't have to pay taxes for the rest of life, they marry the king's daughter, they're going to have great honour. And he says, I'll do it then. Um, 
And um, the, his brother starts, you know, what are you doing? You know, why here? You go back to your, you know, doing the sheep and this kind of thing. Anyway, cut a long story short, it goes to um, uh, King Saul. And King Saul says, okay, uh, you're a bit young, but here's my armor. He says, I can't use that armor. I'm just going to go with what I know. He goes with his, with his um, stick and uh, uh, five stones and his um, sling. I'm glad you know what I'm preaching about. He goes there and Goliath laughs. He throws a stone, knocks him out. He goes over, takes Goliath's um, sword, chops off his head, and then all of the Israelites run after the Philistines, win the battle. Okay? That's the uh, three-minute version. But let's just go into... So let's catch up with this whole story. And this is the kind of thing that Goliath is saying. He stood up and shouted, verse 8, to the ranks of Israel, "'Why have you come out to draw up for battle?' Am I not a Philistine and you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me um, and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. In verse 24, all the men of Israel when they saw the man, fled from him and were very much afraid. The first thing I want to talk about in this great, uh, in these, in this great story is about blockage. Blockage, verses 8 to 11. And this whole, there's this guy, he's standing there. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. A blockage. Giants bring a blockage. They stand in the way of progress. They stand in the way of opportunity. But equally, they stand in the way of the gates. At the gates, we have giants at the gate. And the gates are gateways of opportunity. They're, they're opportunities for us to move into new things. See, when you recognise a giant, it will taunt us and completely, or get us to think completely opposite to the reason that God has allowed that giant there in the first place. In other words, what I mean is this, is that God wants you to come into something new. And a giant will come because it's interesting what a guy said about you have to push through the skin. There's always times when we move into the things of God, it's like giving birth again and again. It's, if you've ever experienced that or seen it, you'll know. It's like pushing through. And so whenever you see a giant, you have to see from God's perspective, I am at the doorway, I'm at the gateway to opportunity. I'm at the threshold of a new thing. And the big question is, are we able to defeat the giant? Because it will release us into the new things. So are you struggling to, and this is how I was thinking, how do you recognize a giant? Are you struggling to move forward in the things of God? Are you at a bit of a blockage? It's not, things aren't necessarily moving for you. Do you find yourself locked in fear or worry or anxiety? Because that's what giants do. They sow seeds of fear. Are you continuing, continually struggling to find the blessing of God in your, in your life? And what I mean by that is we should be blessed in our workplace. We should be blessed in our home life. We should be blessed in our marriages. 
We should be blessed. We should know the blessing of the Lord. The Lord blesses us in our lives. And when there's a giant, sometimes we find that there can be an interruption to the blessing of God. Are you blessed in your finances? And I'm not talking prosperity. You know we don't like prosperity. And some people, I think, they, you know, and this is really important as well. How does, what about suffering? Now, Anna and I was having this conversation, weren't we, Anna? And I've been thinking about this. Is, is all suffering a giant in your life? Well, I don't think it is. Because I've seen people who suffer continually, yet they go on in the things of God, and blessing is in their life, and you can see the hand of God on them. And even uh, I read in Oswald Chambers, no few people read Oswald Chambers the other day, if, if, it, if it calls God to bruise Christ at the cross, don't be surprised that you suffer in your life. Suffering is a part of the, the life and the nature of being a Christian and knowing Jesus. We, we, um, what does the Bible say when it says that we uh, join him in his blessing if we also join him in his suffering? That's not the right that's a, uh, pronunciation of those verses, but there is a verse there. There somewhere. And in fact, I was this, oh no, I won't go there. There's a whole rabbit hole. I was thinking of what we were talking about, Tim. Um, when you think about suffering, when God decided to create the universe, he knew that he had to suffer on the cross. Did it, was that a byproduct of his desire to have some people to love? Or was it the prime product because he knew that he had to show himself to be a suffering God? There's something for you to think about. I don't know the answer to that. But don't think because you're suffering that that's a giant. Look for if there's a blockage in your relationship with God. Because you could have everything going completely well. You could be rising up the ranks in your business. You could be having all money coming into your life. You could be as fit as a fiddle. You could have all the great relationships in the world. But your life with God is as dead and as, as um, uh, stayed and rotten and dying and covered in dust. See, our hope and our desire is that it's not about our natural lives, but our spiritual life as holy people of God, isn't it? Isn't that our desire? Okay. See, the kind of things that characterize giants, they defy God. See, if God has spoken one thing and something says the opposite, then we need to recognize that there is a giant defying the word of God. If something is in your life and you know, well, hold on a minute, God has said this. This is why it's important to know the word. That we, if something is contradicting in your life, something is contradicting the word of God, then that is a giant defying God in our life. And we can speak to it and tell it to go. It brings an obstacle to moving forward in God's plans. It brings fear and anxiety. Some of the things. I'm sure there are many other things, but... You know, if we're going to speak against giants, we need to, God to teach us to recognize the giants in our lives, don't we? So the second one is this. So that's blockage. And the second one is perspective. Verse 24 to 27. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. Remember those two words, defy Israel. And the king would enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? 
And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. See, David came and he saw a Philistine defying the armies of the living God. The people of the, the soldiers of Israel were seeing a man defying their own natural abilities as the armies of Saul. See, the power of perspective. They saw this giant defy Israel, but David saw the giant defying God. And that was his weakness, the weakness of Goliath. He recognised the weakness of Goliath when all the Israelites could do was look at their own weaknesses. See, they, saw, they didn't see themselves as armies under the power and authority of God. They saw themselves under the power and authority of King Saul. And where was King Saul? Was he at the front of the army? Was he stepping out saying, who is this that is defying the armies of the living God? He was back in his tent wondering what he could do. See, perspective is a powerful thing. Have you heard this quote? There are people who would love to have your bad days. Have you heard that before? There are people who would love to have your bad days. Well, I was just um, chatting the other day about there are people in the world that read Revelation as present day news. And we read Revelation as future tense. When you think about what people go through and suffer in the world, people of God, when we have to think, oh, crumbs are starting at 10 o'clock, oh, Life is so hard, and there are people that will walk hundreds, not hundreds, that's probably a bit too much, a bit of a, what they call it, preacher's prerogative? <laughs> walk miles to get to a meeting where the Spirit of God is. Yeah, perspective is, you know the other quote, don't tell God about your problems, tell your problems about your God. Or don't tell God about your giants, tell your giants about your God. Perspective is a powerful thing. See, David was positioned for power. He was positioned for power. What I mean by that is God had put him in a place where he knew he had the power of God on his side to approach that giant. He had been positioned, put there by God, moved into place by God, prepared by God, positioned for power. David was standing on the rock of Jesus Christ, not his own abilities or his own background or where he came from, things like that. He knew what he stood at. David was the representative of God for that moment. See, I wonder how many people, morning girls, just, isn't it good when you see your own daughters coming an hour late to church? There's a giant in that land, I'll tell you. I shall speak to you later. Have you ever considered yourself, though, to be God's appointed person in that moment, in that situation? Oh, not me, no, John, because I've not done a theology degree, or no, John, not me, because this, that, and the other, or no, not me, because I didn't have a quiet time this morning. See, so why did Jesus say, you speak to that mountain? You do it. You're talking, he, and he said that to his disciples. One of them would betray him later. Um, most of them would just leg it and probably didn't even think about what they were going to do. They all went and hid for their own safety. Perspective is a powerful thing. We have to have the right perspective. Number three, despised. 
Let's look at verse 28 to 33. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. He said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again. As before, when the words of David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. I find this one really interesting because... All they could see was this young boy. That's all they could see. See, the enemy will despise you. The enemy will remind you all that you are not in, the, in, the, in a kind of a, uh, a flip side. In other words, saying, yeah, you're able. I see a man of God in you. I see the, a woman of God, someone who has faith. I see someone who has confidence in God. I see that you're positioned for power. Or they say, oh no, but you've only been a Christian for six months. Oh, you're only 15 years old. Or maybe I don't know how old David was, but he was a youth. That's why he wasn't at war. He was but a youth. And I, you know, Paul said this, he said, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Yet how many people are too caught up in looking at the jar than looking at what's inside you. See, this just isn't happening in our own hearts. This happens in churches. And this, and I, now I want you to just let me have a moment here. This is uncomfortable to say and uncomfortable to hear. This happens in this church and it happens with me. Not that I just do it, but I think I do sometimes. But, you know, there's a, there's a, um, a saying, um, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. Now, people in, there are some people in this church that have probably seen me in nappies. There used to be someone who used to come to the church and say, um, oh, I remember I used to put you to bed at night, John. But all they can see is the John Watson that grew up in church. And, they, and when, when I go to another church, there are people there, they don't know me. So they see me and they expect from me an anointing on the preaching. Now, I know these words might be uncomfortable for you and it's uncomfortable for me to say it because that's what we're like in this church. We don't like to make big of people and I'm not doing that about myself. But what I'm saying is this, is that God has positioned us in his role with an anointing to do his work. And what a shame when we don't recognise the work of God because we can't see through the vessel. And I wonder how many times people have seen me and not the work of God and the ministry of God and the anointing of God. And it's hard for me to stand up and say, look, you've got to listen this because I'm anointed to preach this word. Now, if you know me, you know that's hard for me to say that. Because I'm too humble. <laughs> but I think this is important. You know, and it was said of Jesus, he said... Um, Jesus went in, this is Luke 4, 22. 
All spoke well of him, Jesus, and marveled at the gracious words they were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Is this not Joseph's son? And he said, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. And when we have heard, sorry, what we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Is this not John, son of Terry? Is this not John used to sit at the back of church with his head low? See, are you looking and listening to me? Are you looking and listening for the word of the Holy Spirit? Are you able to look beyond me? I hope you are. And this is a challenge for me as well. When I'm listening to people, I'm putting myself in that position. When I'm listening to Daniel, am I thinking, oh, you know, I wonder what's on Daniel's mind at the moment. Or I'm thinking, Daniel is positioned to bring an anointed word, or whoever's here. Now, does that mean that anyone can roll up and just preach? Because we're not bothered about the vessel. Well, of course there's some, the Bible teaches us, doesn't it? That we need to be right with God. We need to, you know, I've been saying recently, prepare the messenger more than you prepare the message. The message takes care of itself when the messenger is prepared. So if you're looking at me and saying, John, John, why is it you never pray, you never worship, you never read your Bible, you never bring an encouraging word? Well, I shouldn't be up here preaching. But if I am praying and I am reading, I know you don't, you know, you don't watch me like this, but the Bible says, imitate those who, whatever the rest of the verse is. So I know this is difficult for us, but we have to be careful that we don't despise like Saul did because it might be that person is positioned. It's not just going to be me, that person is positioned to take down a giant. And the people that stop that are those around them. Amen? Number four, experience. Verses 34 to 36. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when, I love the way he said used to keep sheep, when he's just come from the, uh, um, maybe he realized where he was headed. Um, I went after, um, uh, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against him, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. See, all those troubles that you've had, all that suffering you've gone through, all the difficulties that you've had to face, are all the experiencing uh, of the experiences that when a giant comes along, God has already put in you the ability to take down a giant. See, that's why we shouldn't be, um, as I say, not worried, but concerned when difficulties come. I think in this, you know, you know the saying, nothing in our lives is wasted. But it was necessity that taught him how to sling. Necessity. There are many things that I've learned in my house out of necessity, how to do block working and woodworking and plumbing and heating and electrics. Well, electrics, I always call Sebastian. because <laughs> I always ruin something. But I'm learning. 
out of necessity. And the, the, the things that you don't realize that you know now because you had to learn them in the moment was God's equipping for the future. See, when God leads you to face a giant, it's because he's already equipped you to take it down. And you might not think it's much. You might think, well, how is this little bit of leather that's probably a bit of cloth like this? We think of one of those. It wasn't one of those. It was like a bit of cloth. And he put a stone in it and swing it around. You might think, well, how am I going to defeat anything with this? Deliverance. Verse 37. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. In other words, he was under no illusion that it was God's hand on him that saved him. See, this, I think this understanding underpins our confidence. I do not have to have confidence in myself, in my natural abilities, but in God. I have to have confidence that he has positioned me at that time to defeat a giant. I might not have all the pieces together, but to know that God holds all the pieces. So that's, you know, this is why it's so important that we're up to date with God and in line with God. You choose what, how it works for you. Are you in line with God, up to date with God? Are you right with God? Are there things you know that God has put on your heart that is saying, look, oh, you need to deal with that? Because as soon as you come up against a giant and you're not at peace with God, you will lose your confidence. You won't lose God. God remains the same powerful God, but you will lose your confidence because the enemy will pick up on that. Let's, let's push through with some of these. Verses 38 to 40. And, and Saul clothed David with his armour. He put the helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armour and he tried in vain to go, but he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not tested them. And then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth, smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. No armour of Saul is required. No armour of this natural world is required. See, God equips the called, not calls the equipped. There's another quote for you. God equips the called, not calls the equipped. Luke 10, verse 4, isn't it interesting? He said, uh, Jesus sent out the seven, he said, carry no bag, money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. And greet no one on the road. See, by the time God has called you to the fight, you will have all that you need. You have all that you need. You may not feel it, you may not think it, but as soon as you realise you're in a fight, you have everything that you need. David took what was uh, familiar with him, and, and interestingly, because uh, Goliath said, you come to me, you treat me like a dog, you come to me with sticks. That's because all he would have seen was a young boy and his staff. Number seven, authority, 43 to 48. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This was a battle between Goliath and God. You haven't defied me. You haven't defied the armies of Israel. 
you've defied God and you curse me by your gods. This is a fight between you and God. And what he's, that's what he's saying. So he's saying, I'm standing in place of God in this situation. David didn't come along and say, Lord, I just want to pray that you come and just remove Goliath from this field, that you will just cut off his head. In Jesus' name, amen. He didn't do it. He there and he, he was the one. He put the stone in. He said, you're defying God and I'm God's representative. Number eight. See, God, and this is what I think we need to really embrace as a church, God has determined to do his works through us. And there's one thing that we can pray, Lord, we pray for such and such that's over there. We pray, Lord, that you come and you do this. And, that, and there are wonderful privileges of prayer that we need to pray and we intercede for people. But there is prayer that says, you do it. I'm, you, why, when you speak it, you open up the resources of heaven through you and it will be done. I put that into prayer because prayer is about seeing the resources of heaven released in the spiritual. But we often say, let's put it into our request and it comes like that. But God is saying, no, there's prayer where unless you speak it out, that mountain will not be removed. So, see, that's countercultural. I don't know if you know what I mean by that. It's not, doesn't... Last Sunday, when we went in the prayer meeting, it was hard for people, I think, to pray, I'm going to speak to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. We're very habitual people. We might go for it without saying, and Lord, we pray that this mountain be moved into the sea. No! You do it! So that's countercultural. And then we've got our boldness to do it nonetheless, even if you feel like, this is weird. Is it biblical? At the end of this, I want to say to you, this is biblical. And if it's biblical, you have freedom to speak to the mountain. And I am convinced by it. Amen. So here's the motivation behind the authority, 46 and 47. David said to the Philistine, uh, no, not that's, that's for This day the Lord, this is what's going to happen, Goliath. The Lord's going to deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Right. Where's his sword? He didn't have one. Was he going to use his stick? I, I love this. When you actually stop and think, this is what it means to get through the skin. You know, just stop and think about it. Hold on a minute, Lord. Where's his sword? Cut off your head and I will give your dead body to the host and uh, of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. He's taking his curse, turning it around back to him. Yeah? Um, that all the earth may know that there is, and this is the motivation, okay? That all the earth may know there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. That's the motivation. When you're going up a giant and it's all about your comfort or it's all about your pride or it's all about what you need and what you want, it's the wrong motivation. When you go up a giant and say, hold on a minute, you are defying God and I'm not going to have that. And I know that God's with me because he's not going to have that. 
There are things that, that is allowed in our lives as Christians that God will not allow and they dishonour him. I'm not just talking about when we sin. I'm talking about the lies of the enemy that are taking root or the, the, um, the ideas that we have that, that we we're only should be living like this in this sort of piety or something or I don't know. But they're, they're lies nonetheless. Verse 51, provision. Then David ran, so David kills him, knocks him out of a stone, hits him right in the middle. And David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, Goliath's sword, drew it out of its sheath and killed him, cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that the champion was dead, they fled. See, when he went into that battle, he said, have I got enough? Have I got enough, Lord? What he knew was, he said, when, because this is the thing, you know, I'm going to cut off your head. When I get into the battle, God's going to give me what I need to kill you. I know I've got enough to lay you down, but when I get in the battle, I'm going to have what I need. God will provide what we need in the midst of the battle. See, trust God has given enough so that he could be the everything. Number nine, release. Verse 52 to 53. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. See, the giant is gone, the gate is opened and the release has come, but not just for you. Because it wasn't just David it doesn't even say that David, or well, it does say a bit later on, I think David went after them, but dragging the big sword with him. But it, was, it would bring others into release. See, we, we have to understand that when God added us into a body, it's, it, we're not a bunch of individuals come into one place. We are, we are joined together, feet and hands and, and arms and legs and all these kind of things. And when, I don't know if you've ever had a, a pain situation in your arm or you have like, you know, what they call it, phantom pains or you have, you know, you got hurt here but it hurts in your leg and all this kind of thing and you, you, had, you know, there's that kind of condition, isn't there, guy? Displaced pain, thank you, darling. And when something gets healed, there's release for the rest of the body. It's a bit like, you know, my back's aching because I've got something wrong here that's making my posture out. See, when you find release, it brings release into the body. That's why it's wonderful that we know you can speak to the giants in your own life, but the fact that we can speak to the giants in other people's lives with them as well and know that there's going to be an impact on the body. Release. See, as you come into blessing, you bring blessing to others. There's a lot of quotes. I've worked hard on these quotes. I hope you're making notes. Blockage, perspective. I hope these key words will help to remind you. See, David had a confidence in his God. I want to just end on, on maybe just naming and shaming some giants. And I've been thinking about this the last few days. I've been thinking, Lord, I really want to make a point of some, some giants because there are many. And, uh, and I think, you know, as maybe I'm trusting that the Lord will start to just reveal some things in our lives because I would like us to have a time, and Daniel will lead us, I'm sure, in, in a time of ministry where we can speak to the giants. And it's really important that if you respond to this, don't pray, Lord, will you come and take away this giant? That's, you're not allowed to do that. You've got to speak to the giant. 
and there are many giants. And I wanna, I wanna, I've been thinking about two particularly, and they've a whole bunch of brothers as well, because they're all part of the children of Anak, which means giant. Here's the first one, the giant of comfort. Um, son of self. He has a shield called Ekarg. You know what Ekarg is? Anyone? It's a backwards understanding of grace. See what I've done there? See, grace liberates us, empowers us to live for God. But the backward view of grace says that grace enables me to live for myself. See, and that's what the giant, suddenly, when I start to say things like, do you know what, there may be a giant of comfort, you live for comfort in your lives, so when God calls you out to, to be sacrificial, you resist it because there's a giant of comfort. And, there's a, and, and this, this giant, what, one of the defense mechanisms is, but God loves me. He died for me. His grace has poured out for me. And it's a backward view of grace. It enables us to be selfish. And he has a, a javelin. One of his great things that he will target for, people, for us is compromise. And he has a sword of worldliness. The ways in which we are so attracted to the comfort of our lives is because of the world that we're living in. And the helmet of unbelief and the armour of faithless. See, I wonder whether there's a giant of comfort in the church. See, one of the reasons that um, our prayer meetings don't represent the number of people in our church, I think, is because there's a giant of comfort in the house. And one of the reasons that, or, or maybe at the moment, if there's any justification going on in our hearts and minds, is because, well, I don't need to go to the prayer meeting, do I? The Lord loves me. Ekarg. A backwards view of grace. Now, you, you need to know this as well. Yeah, there is grace. But when we understand, this is where unbelief comes in. When we understand the power of prayer for the pulling down of strongholds, for changes in our own life, for changes in this community and for our country, particularly at this time. Politics aside, we need to pray for our country. And when we meet to pray and there's just a few of us, there's something not right. And it's not just us, it's the church, it's churches general. Prayer is a weakness in the church of God in this country. I bet when you go to places, and this is completely unfounded, but I bet when you go to places where there is suffering and persecution, people know the need to pray. The giant of comforts. Here's his brother, indifference. He's, got, he's the twin of apathy. They're very similar. He has a shield of distraction. You know, hmm. Oh, that was, a, that was a really challenging word. Oh. What are you going to do about that? Oh. Indifference. It's like, oh, oh, this coffee and tea. Oh, here's a distraction. The acts of forgetfulness. What did John talk about on Sunday? Don't know. The sword of sensuality. I thought about this. Because what, what um, this giant does, a giant of indifference, he desensitizes us to the spirit of God. And sensuality, if you read Ephesians chapter four, is the way in which this world and the way of the enemy desensitizes our hearts, dulls our heart to the things of God through sensuality. See, sensuality is all about feelings, isn't it? But it's a self-orientated natural feeling, whereas the spirit of God gives us a spirit-based feeling. There's a difference. It's been sensitive to God. The helmet of natural thinking. 
We're not thinking spiritually into these things. And the armor of self-preservation. That's why there's a lot of indifference. Here's, here's some of the others that I haven't gone into. So you've got apathy, familiarity. I mentioned that last week. I believe there's a giant familiarity that, that, that just grows up in churches amongst our kids. Being one of them growing up in church, you become desensitized to the presence of God. God can be moving in one person in one seat so powerfully and in the next seat they're completely unaware of what God is doing. It's like, almost like a familiarity to the whole process of church. We come, we sing, we listen to the guy talking, or we go to our groups, or we go and play games with the kids, or we, you know, we learn things about Sunday school, is, uh, Sunday, Sunday school stories, um, and it's so familiar. And do you know what the son of familiarity is? No. Contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. Have you heard that? Contempt. How many kids in churches push their way out of it? Don't want to know. And it's not because they haven't heard the word. And I've grew up in many, many young people in, my, in, in this church. And it's not that they haven't heard the word. It's not they don't even believe that God exists. But there is an indifference, a familiarity that blocks them. And I've known people, I remember one uh, friend, it wasn't in this church, whose dad was a pastor in another church. And I remember being at a conference and I remember him coming out of a meeting and he says, I know that if I don't give my life to Jesus now, I'm never going to do it. And I said, well, why don't you? He says, I don't know. And he still hasn't. And the hardness of heart, the hardness of heart, because there's a giant in his life. Fear, popularity, stuff. Stuff, I was going to do a slide for this. The things that we have start to be the means that um, um, help us decide who we are. And then we have to live our lives to, to make sure we have all that stuff. And so we can't, oh, we can't get to church or we can't, you know, I haven't got any money to give uh, to, to those in need because I spent all my money on the things to maintain my lifestyle. I don't have enough time to give to the Lord because I'm too busy working. No change. I think a very powerful giant in church is no change. See, a lot of these, they work together, these no change. No change in comfort. Side by side with their shield. I don't need to change. I've been a Christian for 40 years. You're telling me I need to change? I'm quite happy the way we do it, thank you very much. Why are we doing these new songs? Where are the hymns? Oh, fourth. <laughs> All right, shall we, <laughs> shall we pray? <laughs> I just did that one just to get bed. <laughs> no change. Is there a giant of no change in your heart? We do sing hymns, by the way. But there are giants in the land. Maybe there are others, giants of shame. Giants of Sin. Let's pray, shall we? And then I'm going to let Daniel take us. Father, I want to thank you, Lord, that you've given us authority this morning to speak to these giants and to see them fall. Lord, you've given us everything that we need. Lord, you've given us a confidence in you, in your word. Lord, that you have given us power and authority in this place, not just for the elders, but for each one of us, Lord. And right now, before we enter into this time of ministry, I want to ask, Lord, that you may just make sure by provoking our hearts that we are right with God, right with you.
Lord, and thank you that we can do that by coming and saying, Lord, will you just bring me to a place of rightness with God? Lord, and if we have to ask forgiveness, if we have to ask for the, uh, the action, Lord, that accompanies that maybe, but Lord, thank you, Lord, that we stand on the rock this morning. And as we enter this time of prayer and ministry, Lord, I'm taking you by your word, giants will fall. So we, Lord, we just want to come and invite you now in Jesus' name. Move amongst us, challenge us, encourage us, but cause us, Lord, to speak, Lord, to these giants in Jesus' name. Amen.